Hello, welcome to Parable of the Vineyard. This is our Sunday night show, Road to Rescue. And I'm Sean Griffin, accompanied by my co-host. Ken Heidebrooks. Good evening, brothers and sisters of the POV, KIC, and HOHW. <laughs> it's a, it's like an acronym. We need to get all those acronyms just on one big t-shirt. Just, just like a like a stew of letters. Eventually, I'd like to go past the amount of letters that the LGBTQ community has. So we need more <laughs> channels, more, more channels of people with ministries. Yes. But apparently they, apparently they just can make up new acronym letters at any point with their, with their agenda. So, um, and, and the ones they've already established from years past now don't mean anything according to their shifting paradigm. So <laughs> it's hard to keep up, John. Yeah, it's crazy. The world is uh, like shifting sand, right? That's why we stand on the rock of Yeshua, our Messiah. So thanks for joining us, everybody. And um, and speaking of rocks, um, the rock that we live on, right? The the plane of the earth, the creation that was made. Um, when creation was made, a garden was put in the land of Eden. And so that's what we're actually going to be talking about tonight here on episode 16 of The Road to Rescue is that what is this garden that was put down? Adam and Eve were put into it after they were created. We're going to go over those verses. They were expelled from it once they transgressed the commandments or, or the ones given to them at the time. And then what happened to that garden? Where'd it go? What's going on there? Does the father tell us about it? Does he actually explain if that's a character in the story, the garden itself, since it was introduced with the main characters from the very beginning, both, you know, the father and then these, um, you know, these, uh, these beings he created adam and eve and then all this importance in genesis 2 is placed on well also chapter 3 all this importance is placed on this garden that they were set into and that it was a place where they could walk, walk and talk with god but then when they were kicked out of it what happened to that character so to speak in the story and this is what we're excited to bring to you tonight here in part one of this uh, of this message here of eden because believe it or not guys it leads right up to the coming of our messiah on the day of the lord and if you're new to, to this particular broadcast we do here on Parable of Vineyard on Sunday nights, this is called the, the Road to Rescue. And the whole premise of the show is that we take the day of the Lord, which is the return of our Messiah, and we go through the scriptures at all the different ways it's spoken about, all the different themes, all the different concepts that play into, that coalesce to this great and wonderful day where our Messiah bursts through the firmament with his angels, comes down, takes care of the wicked. And all these different component pieces are happening on that day, and that's what each show of this one is about so this particular show is about eden absolutely sean i think that the garden that was placed in the land of eden is as you've said it's far more significant than i think most christians even realize you know it's just briefly discussed at the front end of the book and then it just seems to kind of dissipate you know as you go along in the pages but hopefully as you brothers and sisters who are viewing um we'll see this Garden of Eden plays a very, very important role eschatologically, and um, it's embedded throughout the scriptures, but you just have to be able to know what you're looking for. And so we hope that with this presentation tonight, we'll do it justice and, and we'll be able to help you make those connections that we were able to connect. So thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, Sean, do you want to get started or do you want to? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Real quick, guys, if, you, if you're not aware of who we are, um, we're guest hosts here on Parable of the Vineyard. Um, I'm Sean Griffin, my co-host is Ken Heiderbrecht, but we also have our own YouTube channels. So if you haven't checked those out, 
you know, it'd be a great, um, great to go check our channels out as well. Mine is called Keenum in Context. And I think, um, are you screen sharing, brother? I'm screen sharing right now. Yep. Okay, cool. I think uh, Ken is showing, yeah, he's got my channel popped up there. And so this is, you guys are welcome to go check that out and all the different videos we do. We do several different broadcasts throughout the week. And then Ken has his own channel that it's called. Yes, it's called. Go ahead, brother. Hanging on his words. Yes. I don't have as many videos up in my playlist here as brother Sean. He's been at it a little longer than me, but uh, I'm gaining ground a little bit, Sean. Not that it's a uh, competition or anything like that, brother. <laughs> no, man, you've got great videos, brother. You, they're really well done. Um, we're very professionally done. You know, I'm re I really enjoy them. So, and uh, yeah, so you guys go check those out. And if you like them, be sure to like, share, subscribe any video that, that might bless you. And uh, if you haven't even liked, share, or subscribed here at Parable of the Vineyard, make sure you do that as well. Hit the thumbs up button. Um, if you have any questions while we're going through the scriptures in this broadcast tonight, make sure to put the comments down below, um, as well as you know, share it if it blessed you on your social media accounts. But make sure before anything, you hit the subscribe button for Parable of the Vineyard before you leave tonight. So, all right. Sean, I also want to just mention real quick that you and I also do another show called Honor of Kings. I don't know if you mentioned that or not, but that's another show yeah. just in case you brothers and sisters may be interested in. It's where we go through some of the apocryphal books that were removed from the canon of 66 and we kind of investigate to see what, what was the reason behind removing these books. And Sean and I have a lot of fun doing that. And for those who are also interested in, in the same questions that we've had, you may find it rather interesting and um, edifying as well. So feel free to check that show out as well, which is on Saturday evenings on Kingdom in Context. Yeah, I know that, you know, one of the affiliate channels here at Parable of the Vineyard is Christian Truthers, you know, with, with Justin Best. And if you guys haven't, again, if you haven't subscribed to that, we'll make sure to do that as well. But he actually put a great, uh, great video out about a month ago. It's called How the West Was Lost. And he actually reviews the process and the people involved that took these these books out of the Bible about 140 years ago. And so if you guys haven't seen that video, go check that out on Christian Truthers channel how the West was lost. But what we do, like he was saying on Honor of Kings, is look into those books that were removed and try to figure out why. So we have a lot of fun doing it. And um, and I think we're even going to have as a guest host, Brother Adam's going to come on here at the end of that, that season one. Yeah. So we're, we're looking forward to having him on with us. But um, otherwise, we're excited because tonight, this message to me is a lot of fun because to me, it just brings out like so much that I feel like if people had this understanding as they're reading the Bible, it would just like it, it's like a it's like a character that's always standing in the room, but people just have always overlooked it, you know. Yeah, Sean, do you ever watch those um, really sad YouTube videos of dogs that people abandon or they run away and they get lost, and then there's these organizations that go out and find them and then bring them back to their shelters and you know rehabilitate them and then hopefully try to find people that are going to adopt them. They refer to that as finding someone that will help them bring them to their forever home. And so okay. when I see that, I think of just brothers and sisters who are out there that just don't feel like this world is their house, that their home, right? It, they feel like this is just a transient weird thing that's going on. You know, where is Yahweh? How can we live with him? Well, guys, this forever home that we're going to all live in one day, um, is embedded in this conversation that we're going to have this evening. So I hope that this really encourages you. 
I hope that instills just the passion for this forever home that we're going to because we will live in it literally forever for an eternity. So it's an exciting thing to think about, you know? So with further ado, John, I think we can get started here. Cool, cool. Yeah, man. If you will do me the honors of, uh, of throwing the slides up on the screen, that the way the viewer can follow along. Absolutely. And this is our presentation on Eden and the garden that was in Eden. And so um, just here with our first, um, I'll just, I'll read the first one, Ken, if you don't mind. Yeah, here in Second Ezra, we're looking at chapter six, and um, this is going to be verses one through six. And it says, and he said unto me in the beginning, when the earth was made, before the borders of the world stood, wherever the winds blew, before it thundered and lightning, wherever the foundations of paradise were laid, before the fair flowers were seen, wherever the movable powers were established, before the innumerable multitude of angels were gathered together, wherever the heights of the air were lifted up, before the measures of the firmament were named, wherever the chimneys in Zion were hot, and ere the present years were sought out, and or ever the inventions of them that is now sin were turned, before they were sealed, that gave gathered faith for a treasure. Then did I consider these things, and they were all made through me alone and through none other, by me also they shall be ended and by none other that's just an amazing wrapped up summation of you know just utter beauty in my opinion sean i mean this this set of verses actually was the inspiration behind um the one song that i that i uh made on my recent ep um it's called our mother above and I just it's just so beautifully stated you know like before the father created it all he saw it all right and we actually discussed this um over on honor of kings in the apocalypse of abraham where abraham is essentially seeing what this picture of everything the father was saying in this picture that he was showing abraham i saw it all before it began and we know that in the scriptures yahweh has you know he knows the beginning from the end because he's seen it all apparently before it and abraham sees this picture of it and here, once again, I think here in Second Ezra, this is kind of what it's referring to: is that he, before it all was created, before he, you know, he implemented it, you know, he saw it, and yeah. he's the one that, that brings it into creation, and he's the one that's going to ultimately end it on the day of the Lord, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's just that's that's why we want to start out with this, just because the Father he has foresight, right? I mean, clearly he's the creator, so he's going to be able to to be able to see ahead you know and plan and uh and i think it's are you screen sharing ken oh sorry oh, i just off there yeah that's great um and so basically yeah i just i love that this passage here in second Ezra talks about and this is why we highlighted it right forever the foundations of paradise were laid so he knew that there was going to be a place called paradise before you know the creation of the world right and i think that this is interesting because let's let's define paradise even as we go through tonight okay that's another term that's that i want the viewer to be aware of as we go tonight because we're going to be connecting terms in context of how the scriptures are describing these ideas yeah sean actually before we move on i might as well just provide the viewer with what the greek word is for paradise and what it means in the uh, strongs and um it's paradisos which is strongs number three eight five seven and it can mean a park, a garden, a paradise. And it also comes from the ancient Persian word for an enclosure or a garden or a park. 
So keep that in mind, brothers and sisters, as we move along, that this is kind of what the word paradise means. And we're going to see this kind of elsewhere in the scriptures, right? So it should be able to bring us back to, you know, this definition um, with the different synonyms for paradise as we move along in this, in this uh, discussion. Yeah. It makes me wonder um, when you, when you look at that definition, it talks about being an enclosure and a garden. I just think of a greenhouse. Yeah. So it's interesting. Well, it's interesting, Sean, because at my last Sabbath gathering or the one before it, we were discussing gardens and there was this individual that was there who said, you know, guys, it's weird. And here in the West, um, you consider a garden. Like when you ask somebody, what's a garden? You think just like you dig up some earth outside and you plant some vegetables, right? And you might, might have some like fencing around it or something like that. But most of the time it's kind of open. He says back in England, a garden is always walled off. It's always protected and has like barriers around it. Right. And so, yeah, it's just interesting. Yeah. Which, which it should be, to be honest with you, because I, I have studied, you know, gardens and I actually went in the future would love to create a side business where I build greenhouses. And I understand that if you don't have, you know, the proper things for your garden, all the critters get in at five in the morning and they, they mess with, they take a bite out of the cucumbers or just one little bite out of the, out of the watermelon. And then they ruin your produce and your harvest. So you definitely want to protect it. Um, and there's a, there's a ton of ways to do that. And I think the father built the best way to do that, to do yeah, that. For sure. So, All right. I'll screen share here, Sean. Yep. Okay, guys, we are in Genesis chapter two, right here at the beginning, verse eight. And it's simple. It just says Yahweh Elohim planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. So here we go, Sean, as you said earlier. Eden, which was paradise, was planted, or sorry, the garden was planted in Eden. Yeah, there's a big misconception I found growing up amongst um, many believers where they think that Adam and Eve were created inside the garden to start, but that's not how it goes down in Genesis 2 and 3, is that they were actually, this is why in, in Genesis 3, 24 and 5, or excuse me, 23 and 24 uh, of Genesis chapter 3, they're actually taking back to the land of their creation after they're expelled from the garden. So, and this is where we've actually talked about this on a different episode. Um, but in the book of Jubilees, it actually explains to us that Adam was created and he waited 40 days before being brought into the garden. And Eve had to wait 80 days before being brought into the garden. And this was actually the, where we get these laws in the Torah for bringing the, you know, the male child, uh, I think uh, after his days of purification, bringing him to the temple and then for a dedication and then same frame for the woman as well. He had to wait like, you know, I think it was uh, seven days plus 33 days right. for the male and then 14 days plus 66 days for the female. So, yeah, yeah. Really odd if, when you read that in the Torah, but you don't get the backstory behind what, you know, where is this coming from? It just seems like this random instruction, you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, they're just they're paralleling what the father did with Adam and Eve. To bring them in, you know, he created them in this in this land, but then he wanted to bring them into his his garden, which was considered a holy place. But there's purification that they had to go through before they got there, which is, I mean, repeated all over the place in scriptures. You know, I mean, I mean it's just a it's a it's a foundational principle that he wants us to purify ourselves before coming into his presence. Yeah, absolutely. So. And I think Jubilees mentions that the land, the name of it, is actually called Elda. Yeah, the land yeah. of their creation. Yeah, so very interesting. Yeah. Which many people theorize is actually the land of Mitzrayim, 
or, or Egypt, but honestly, don't know. Hmm. So. Okay. Yeah, you want me to read Second Ezra three? Yep, go for it, buddy. All right. So here in Second Ezra chapter three, we're going to read verses five and ten. It says, "And gave a body unto Adam without soul, which was the workmanship of your hands, and did breathe into him the breath of life, and he was made living before you, and you led him into paradise." which your right hand had planted before ever the earth came forward. And unto him you gave commandment to love your way, which he transgressed. And immediately you appointed death in him and in his generations, of whom came nations, tribes, people, and kindreds out of number. And every people walked after their own will and did wonderful things before you and despised the commandments, excuse me, and despised your commandments. And again in process of time, you brought the flood upon those that dwell in the world and destroyed them. And it came to pass in every, in every of them that, as death was to Adam, so was the flood to these. And Ken, the reason why I put that up there, um, the reason why that not only did I want to highlight the idea of just, you know, this is what we read in Genesis 2, that, you know, he formed men out of the dust of the earth. He breathed into the breath of life and he became a living soul. I don't want the viewer to be confused with how Ezra's is wording this at the very beginning where he said and gave a body unto Adam without a soul. That just means he made him from the dirt first before he breathed the life into him which is what it says following that. And you did breathe into him the breath of life. And that's as we see in Genesis two, where he becomes a living soul. Um, so just so you people don't get confused and think Ezra is teaching something different. And so then of course he's led into paradise, which is amazing. And he's given commandments. <laughs> so this is pretty, you know, this is what I've always been saying, uh, you know, for a long time now is this, this whole concept of God's law, the commandments, the whole idea is just simply once you're created, these are the instructions for how you're supposed to live. So the father, a creator created you. And then he said, okay, here's how you work. If you, if you behave in this way, it's going to go well with your body, your mind, your heart, your soul. Here's how you work. And so that law transitioned into, you know, uh, the, the Hebrew word for that, that we generically called the law is the Torah. It just means instructions. Yeah, exactly. That's all it means. And so it, it, it just, it hurts my heart to see people get so bent out of shape about this word Torah when I'm just like, guys, it's just God giving us the instruction manual on how we're to behave and live. That was all the whole point of it. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with Adam being created. Yeah. And, um, and then of course, what I love at the very end, how Ezra is tying this together with once he transgressed, he death was appointed in him, but also just as others transgressed over time, the flood came and took him away because keep this. The reason why this is a hint for, for, you know, this episode and both this one and next week that we're going to do is that this flood plays a role in the character of Eden. And, and we're going to explain what that means through these following verses. Yeah. Sean, I just love how, um, and thank you, brother, for highlighting. It's kind of like an open book test, right? Like, <laughs> this is where we want you guys looking. See that blue? That's that's kind of where we want you to focus on in these verses here mainly. But uh, the the part where it says that Yahweh's right hand had planted the paradise, that, that obviously that aligns up perfectly with what we just read in Genesis, right? Where he planted the garden. That's same right. Thing. His right hand planted paradise. So we have the garden equals paradise. So we got two descriptions of the same thing. So just keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. And I'm, I apologize if this is really nothing new for you in terms of the information we're, we're presenting with this, but. Oh, don't uh, worry. It'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> we're building. Don't <laughs> stick with us to the end, guys. <laughs> and uh, and beware because some of you may be 
triggered by the end of this, but we're, we're building to a point. So we just laying a foundation right now. Okay, buddy. I'll pull up the next one here, Sean, and I'll, I'll right. read that. All right. We're in the awesome book of Enoch. Chapter 26, verses 1 to 6. And it says, And I went from thence to the middle of the earth, and I saw a blessed place, which there were trees, with branches abiding and blooming of a dismembered tree. And there I saw a holy mountain. And underneath the mountain to the east there was a stream, and it flowed towards the south. And I saw towards the east another mountain higher than this, and between them a deep and narrow ravine. In it also ran a stream underneath the mountain. And to the west thereof there was another mountain, lower than the former, and of small elevation, and a ravine deep and dry between them. And another deep and dry ravine was at the extremities of the three mountains. And all the ravines were deep and narrow, being formed of hard rock, and trees were not planted upon them. And I marveled at the rocks, and I marveled at the ravine, yea, I marveled very much. So, Sean, what do we got here? We got um, J.R.O. Tolkien's um, Middle Earth here, or what? <laughs> Yeah, this is, it's interesting because you have, um, Enoch is being shown so many different things from between these chapters of 24 all the way through, I think it's 34 or 35. And so here, the reason why I'm we, we're putting this in here is this idea that part of his journey of where he's being shown in different parts of the earth, he was taken to the middle of the earth. And as a result of this, he's shown these mountains, this the, you know, that we understand later is the actual throne of Yeshua. Um, once we get, you know, further on more, more descriptions, um, he's shown these, uh, interesting stuff, but at the same time, that's why we got one more verse here, actually in Enoch in 32, this kind of parallels it. And just, I'm going to read, I'm going to read this one real quick. If you throw it up there. Sure. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to comment before we get there, Sean, um, the middle of the earth really doesn't make that much sense on the heliocentric globular model so yeah. for those brothers and sisters out there who are familiar with the biblical descriptions of you know the biblical model of creation the middle of the earth makes a lot more sense when we think of like you know a cd with the little hole in the middle there that would be yeah. the middle right and that's kind of what we're what i believe is what where enoch was taken directionally so yes Yes. Um, and that's, I believe that's why um, in Jubilees, I think it's chapter three or four, um, the the garden was called the navel. That's right. Yeah. The navel of the earth. It's so it's a fitting right. that you use the CD analogy with the hole. All right. So, um, but yeah, as Enoch is being shown over these several chapters here, Enoch is being taken to different places by the angel and shown different things. And he comes to the middle of the earth and he sees a bunch of stuff. But while he's there, it still picks up here at Enoch 32, verses 3 through 6. And so this is what he's seen while he's in the middle of the earth. And it says, And I came to the garden of righteousness and saw beyond those trees many large trees growing there and of goodly fragrance, large, very beautiful and glorious. And the tree of wisdom whereof they eat and know great wisdom. That tree is in height like the fir and its leaves are like those of the carob tree. And its fruit is like the clusters of the vine. Very beautiful. And the fragrance of the tree penetrates afar. And then I said, how beautiful is the tree and how attractive is its look. Then Raphael, the holy angel who was with me, he answered me and said, this is the tree of wisdom of which your father old in years and your aged mother who were before you have eaten. And they have learnt wisdom and their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they were driven out of the garden. So this concept is he's actually going to the garden. He's being shown this vision of different places. And he's in one of the places he's shown is the actual Garden of Eden. 
That's right. And garden of righteousness where all yes, things are perfect, utter perfection in this, in this, you know, zone. And the reason, Ken, why we're throwing this up there is because for the reader, you know, if you're, if you're not catching on immediately, Enoch lived, he, you know, he's the seventh from Adam. Okay. So he's, was it Adam, Seth, you know, can remember Cain and Abel kind of out of the genealogical picture, right? Adam, Seth, Enos, uh, Canaan, we had Mahalalalalal guy, right? <laughs> and then you've got the uh, Jared and then Enoch, right? That's and right. so he's the seventh from Adam. There's a lot of time passing between Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden and Enoch being alive and being shown the garden still in the middle of the earth. That's right. So the point we're drawing with this, guys, is that Enoch is being shown a vision of the land in the middle of the earth, and he's still seeing the garden of righteousness, the garden of Eden, uninhabited, but he still sees it. It's still there during the days of Enoch, which is wild. Because even in that passage, it's saying, the angel's telling him, Raphael's saying, oh, yeah, by the way, this is the tree which your father, old in years, and your aged mother. So even while Enoch's being shown this, it's like Adam and Eve are still alive. Yeah, exactly, Sean. And, you know, honestly, that like this perspective that you just mentioned, isn't that startling? Because I used to believe that the Garden of Eden yeah, is exactly. simply just like a landmass that is still there today, right? And that no one really, I mean, people speculate, well, this is where it is. This is where the garden is. And it's like overgrown. We, we don't know what happened. But like, so for, for Enoch, you know, to be shown this well into the timeline, the biblical narrative, um, to me, it wasn't that startling. It's what takes place around the times of the flood and thereafter that most people, I don't think, clue into. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and what's funny is actually I've heard so many theories. I've heard the Garden of Edens in Ethiopia. I've heard it's in South Africa. I've heard it's actually in the Philippines. And I'm sitting here going, clearly whomever put together that exegesis did not read these apocryphal books and um, didn't, in my opinion, didn't take Genesis and Isaiah seriously when it mentions the Garden of Eden. You know, yeah. and that's where um, so there's just a lot of missing information, which, you know, you, you don't really blame people. You don't really like I don't I don't um, you know, I don't think negatively of people when, you know, they're they're coming to a conclusion and they've missed some information. This is the great tragedy, Ken, of why we've had some of these books taken out of the Bible. And therefore, it's no wonder people are confused. Yeah, exactly. Sean, and that's you know, that's been the heart. Um, behind the video that I released uh, on my channel, Paradise Found, is because it's such an amazing um, truth that is just it's hidden and layered in the scriptures. And like once once a, I believe once a Christian sees it and tests it for themselves, they have to um, by default question some of their other beliefs as to like where do you go when you die? What, what is this earth system that we that we were created in? Like you have to start questioning other doctrines, right? It, it forces you to do that, right? Which is the yeah. amazing part of God's word. When you latch onto one truth with that, you have just by default, you have to test other ones because they just start to unlayer. Yeah, it's amazing. So that's why we do our best to show you a, a wide breadth of scripture from all over the book, as well as the apocryphal books that used to be in the Bible to show you how it all lines up so succinctly. So that way, like Ken said, if you're, if you're having a knee jerk moment, you're like, wait a minute, how can they talk about people going to Sheol when they die and waiting for the resurrection? I thought I went to heaven when I die. 
Well, all of scripture tells us we go to show and we, we actually spent two hours explaining that. I think it was episode three or four. It's the episode is titled hell matters. You're welcome to go check that out on the playlist here for the road to rescue on parable of the vineyard. But, um, but we actually explained that concept from scripture for like two hours, you know, that we, all of us await are either the resurrection or the judgment in Sheol waiting for the day of the Lord. And that's um, a huge misconception among the church. So you're right, Ken, there's, there's several different teachings out there that people have adopted over time and very good hearted people, right? They're just innocent mistakes because they didn't have the fullness of the information available to them so they can flesh out these ideas, you know? Exactly. And that's where we, we want to give people the, you know, the benefit of the doubt and be very graceful uh, towards them. But at the same time, we want to show the wide, you know, fullness of the scriptures. So you can test these things for yourself and realize, oh my goodness, as the prophet Ezra, which is what we've been reading tonight from second Ezra's in his epistle that was taken out of the Bible, he explains this concept. Oh my goodness, Baruch, the, you know, the, the scribe and, and prophet of, friend of Jeremiah, he was also explaining these things. He, why did they take him out of the Bible? You know what I mean? Oh my goodness, the book of Jubilees, which is in the Ethiopian Bible. Why, why was it not put in the original Catholic canon? You know what I'm saying? It's like when it explains all this stuff and it parallels so well also, you know, yeah. just like we read in the book of Enoch, why was this possibly taken out of the Bible? There's so many things in here that parallel exactly with the scriptures to the point where Jesus is quoting from it multiple times. Yeah. You know, it just makes you wonder, the enemy is trying to create deception among the body. And this is why we have over the last hundred years, all these denominations popping up like crazy is because they 140 years ago, a lot of the books were taken out and there's some component pieces in these books that were taken out that gives you clear cut understanding about these topics in the scripture and helps you form the overall picture very, very easily. But yeah. when you take these books out, now you're just trying to piece together stuff. And, and unfortunately pastors have created all variants of of wild doctrines as a result of that over the past hundred years. Yeah. I mean, Sean, it's like, I don't do these. I'm not at the age and I don't mean any disrespect for, for those who may be young that love doing those thousand piece puzzles. But if you're given a box of, you know, a, a puzzle that has a picture, right. And it's missing many key parts of the overall picture. I mean, Obviously, the picture is not going to look very good as you try to piece things together. You're going to randomly try to put this piece with this one, even though it's, you know, it's partner pieces somewhere else that you really need. And it's just unfortunately, that's what has resulted with the removing of all these texts. And so that's kind of why Sean and I are so passionate about it is because, as he said, like it just it gives you the much needed, you know, puzzle piece to help the other ones fit together so that we have this cohesive mosaic that is supposed to look beautiful and, and you know, completed. So. And Sean, I just wanted to emphasize real quick, buddy, what you said earlier about how we, you know, we need to give the benefit of the doubt and be gracious with our brothers and sisters who haven't woken up, guys. And this, I'm full of analogies, and I don't know why, Sean, but it's, in my opinion, like it's kind of like a dormant, like hive of bees, right? Not every one of them wakes up all at the same time. This is kind of yeah. what the Father has done prophetically: is that He said in the latter days, people would start to wake up in their scattered lands that they've gone to. And they're going to start understanding that they've inherited lies and that, you know, their forefathers have done all these abominable things, which was the, the whole reason behind them being scattered. And so as we start to wake up in all the different areas across the earth, we're going to do it randomly, not all at once. It seems there seems to be influxes some years, some years, you know, maybe missing some. But I just want to encourage you guys to be very, very patient 
with your brothers and sisters, your family members, you know, the church members that you used to hang out with. And just remember that you were, you were just as dormant as they are, or, you know, are currently coming out of. So just, I just want to put emphasis on that because I talk from experience from being woken up, right? You just right. want to shine that light on them, right? But we have to do it very, very slowly and tactfully. Otherwise we can drive them away further. So I just, I just wanted to put some emphasis on that, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Brother. We just, we want to uh, offer the scriptures in love and patience and let them come to their own conclusions. Some will come to it faster than others. Some will kick and knee jerk for years, but then, you know, like you, you and I have been interacting on social media before we started doing videos with YouTube for years. Right. And we would have these conversations with people and watch them just completely devolve into, you know, a, an adolescent again, you know, because of their behavior, they were so angry that, that they're some that what some pastor had convinced them of years ago, that we were challenging those thoughts with scripture, you know, and to say, look, I, I know that's what we were told, but what do the words say? The words that we're both looking at together right now, what do they say? And we, you and I have both watched people refuse to address the simple words in front of us. And they just keep continue to talk about their own theories, you know, and that's where, um, you know, it just takes, like you said, it takes patience. We want to pray for people that um, we just just sow the word in people and hope and pray the, the Holy Spirit waters it, you know? Amen. And so speaking of a mosaic and speaking of things lining up, we just read from Enoch 32 where he was shown the garden of righteousness and the angel explained to him, this is the tree of wisdom they ate from that they shouldn't have and they were kicked out of the garden as a result of that. We're actually going to read both in Jubilees and Genesis 3 some things that go along with what Enoch was seeing. So do you want All this right. one, Ken? Yeah, I can read it, John. Cool. All right, guys, we're in Genesis 3 here, verses 22 to 24, and it says, Then Yahweh Elohim said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, Yahweh Elohim sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay, brother. You know how many times we've heard, I mean, I've heard in my life that, you know, oh, the Garden of Eden is another dimension. Yes, I've heard that as well, Sean. And I just, it blows my mind. I've never gotten that from reading this passage. And there's so many theories on it. Um, and it, most of it, of course, is not taking into account Genesis 1, which is an actual biblical creation model. It's it's assuming a different creation model of heliocentricity. And that's usually where they get the whole realm of, well, it's a different dimension that it's an unseen realm that, you know, that, that they lost their sight and their vision to. And I'm like, well, then why, why even guard it? Why guard it with an angel and a flaming sword? If, if it's something that they couldn't get back to anyway, that's right. Yeah. You know, and like we just showed you with Enoch, he, Enoch was being shown that it was still there. And the, the tree of wisdom was still even in there. The tree of knowledge of good and evil was still there. Yeah. You know? So yeah, he was like, a special dude, Sean. I mean, he had access, not that he was going to take from it, because obviously the father trusted this this man who was like rather righteous and obviously able well, to. Ken, we, technically, we haven't gotten to the point of his access yet. We're about to get there at the next slide, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, know what you're, I know what you're saying, but for the viewer following along, we haven't actually gotten to the point where they may understand what we're talking about with, with Enoch having access. Sure. Okay. So Jumping ahead of myself. Sorry about that. It's okay. It's all right, brother. But yeah, I just think it's interesting. I, I wanted to, to bring it as a point of note, Genesis 3, 22 through 34, that we just read. 
Um, it just it clearly tells us that he's that Yahweh sent him out of the garden, out of the Garden of Eden, back to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he was created somewhere else, put inside the garden, and when he transgressed, he's taken out of the garden. So that garden is still there during the days of Enoch, which is a long time. That's right. A long time away. And if, if my calculations are correct, it's about um I want to say it's about like 700 years later. Well, yeah, about around 800 years. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so what's it? So imagine the life, Ken. Imagine what's going on there. That you know, the extended sons of Adam and Eve, Seth and uh, his sons, and Enos and his sons, and Canaan and his sons, and Jared and all his sons. Because we know from the book of Enoch that Enoch was not the only. He had brothers and sisters, apparently. And yeah. so um, we just we've got all these other people that are propagating, right? And that's not even talking about the rebellious angels from Genesis six during the days of Jared that descended started having their own babies and their own offspring. They have their own offspring. What are they doing? Are they, are they just, is the garden of Eden just kind of in the background? Are they just looking at it? Just do they walk by it? Are there trade routes around it? Do they know what it is? You know what I'm saying? Do they, yeah, can they, yeah. can they see this angel that's guarding it and just walk up to them like the, like the, the stiff faced guards in the Imperial palace in England you know, with the big furry black hats, you know, and they, they're emotionless <laughs> and stoic, you know what I mean? Like, are they, like, what is the, the, you know, as I've said before, I'm kind of a, I love writing and, and my, my mind, I look at it from this perspective. I'm looking at all angles. What's the scenario, who the characters involved here, how does this work out when he says this and they do this and what's the setting that this whole thing is taking place in. And so when we read about the events that happened before the flood and all the, the, who knows how many people populated before the flood, yeah. And this garden is still on the ground, even up until the days of Enoch. Now we're going to read about when it, when it was not on the ground anymore here, but later. So stick with us guys. If you, if, if you're wondering what we're, where we're going with this, but um, I'm just trying to imagine, Ken, it just fascinates me so much. And I'm trying to imagine just being in that setting where like, you know, great Adam is your great, great granddad, you know, and you're the son of Canaan or Mahalalel or something. And you and they're trying to explain to you what that place is over there that you can't go inside of. Yeah, well, I just it, yeah, exactly. And I I just wonder about you know what's Adam feeling like with all his <laughs> austerity. You know, are they like ridiculing him and being like, why did you ah oh, why Uncle Adam or like what really like <laughs> look at that big bright know, shiny thing way over there that we like we could be in right now. Like now we're here in Elda where you are and like it's just. <laughs> You know, it makes me wonder, um, and that's and that's where we're actually going to talk about some of the descriptions of the garden later, because we've already kind of established this idea that by its own definition, um, and and by you know having apparently um, needing a guard to get into it, that it is a walled off thing. It is it is something that was enclosed from with some sort of walls, right. and this is where I would say um, this is why you know it's lit it's that literal. That you can't get into it because that's why angels needed to guard it. Was that you know because they could walk up to it? Yeah, so that, that implies that before the angels were guarding it, there you had access in and out of it, right? Exactly. Which is yeah. it's parallel something in the future, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, this all matters to the coming of the Lord. So this were um, yeah, I just get, it's fascinating to me just the whole scenario to try to envision it and make it a, you know surreal in your mind of how yeah. things would play out. Yeah. So, but let me read the next one real quick so the viewer can catch up to what we're what we're excited about. 
Um, Jubilees chapter four, it's going to be in verse 23 through 26. And it says, and he was taken from amongst the children of men. And he, in this passage, folks, we're talking about Enoch. This is, we just read from Enoch. We talked about the garden still being on the ground. We saw that it was a separate entity Adam and Eve were kicked out of. And now this is more along the lines of what Enoch is being shown and how he's being treated in relation to the garden of Eden that was still on the ground. And so it says, and he was taken from amongst the children of men and we conducted him into the garden of Eden in majesty and honor. And behold, there he writes down the condemnation and judgment of the world and all the wickedness of the children of men. And, and on account of it, God brought the waters of the flood upon all the land of Eden. For there he was set as a sign that he should testify against all the children of men, that he should recount all the deeds of the generations until the day of condemnation. And he burnt the incense of the sanctuary, even sweet spices acceptable before the Lord on the mounts. For the Lord has four places on the earth, the Garden of Eden, the Mount of the East, and this mountain on which you are this day, which is Mount Sinai, and Mount Zion, which will be sanctified in the new creation for a sanctification of the earth. Through it will the earth be sanctif sanctified from all its guilt and its uncleanness throughout the generations of the world. And if you will, Ken, if you'll just leave this on the screen for a minute, because, brother, there is so much inside this passage True. Yep. that I want to talk to you about. Yeah, it's I mean, Sean, we, we got I know it's not this one. It's a, it's another latter chapter in Jubilees that talks about the um, the Garden of Eden being the navel of the earth right here. We just have yeah. the Garden of Eden being one of the four places, whereas yeah. you know, that parallel chapter actually mentions three places, which. Makes me want, really wonder. I know this could be a, a discussion, but what this mount of the east, this elusive mountain of the east, is. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's Herman to be honest, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't, it 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 is kind of elusive, isn't it? We never really found a, a good name for it, but um, we know where Mount Sinai is, and Mount Zion, of course, is what a lot of people would suggest to be the actual place where Isaac was taken up, which is, I believe, also called Mount Moriah um, in, in Genesis 22, and then of course the Garden of Eden. My personal theory from research is that the location of the garden of Eden is the town of Bethel uh, yes. that we see all this angelic activity happening with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I could be wrong, but that's just my personal, personal feel for that after, after studying the concepts. But what I wanted to point out real quick, just so the viewer does, I'm, I'm sure there's people at home, Ken, that are looking at what we just read and they're probably reading, looking at the screen again and just, you know, trying to figure out what in the world, because most people are taught that Enoch is, is not dead, right? That's that right, he's yeah. alive somehow. Well, Jubilee 7 and also later in Jubilees 10, both places it says that Enoch did die. And I said, and I would put forward that this is the point where it's telling us where he went. You know, so it's in um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, that Enoch uh, was not for God took him. You know, and also in Genesis 5, it talks about that. Now, sure. Hebrews 11, chapter 5 says it so that he would not see death. That doesn't mean to say that he didn't personally die. There was a lot of death happening on the earth when the flood came and when things went down. And if we take Jubilees into account, we see that he was literally removed, taken to the Garden of Eden in majesty and honor because of his obedience. We get that in Jubilees chapter three and also in the book of Enoch as well. And there he writes down the condemnation and the judgment of the world, all the wickedness of the children of, the men, of men and on account of it. So on account of what he's writing down, God brought the waters of the flood upon all the land of Eden. So there's two things, Ken, I want to point out for the viewer real quick, okay? This concept that he is sent. You remember he, Enoch is called the scribe, right? That was the whole point. So he's actually taken to the Garden of Eden, which he's basically being protected 
away from the regular chaos that was going down. Because remember, the whole book of the book of Enoch is about him reprimanding the angels for creating the Nephilim. Yeah, so, that's right. You know, on one hand, I'm sure the dude was a wanted man. <laughs> well, but Sean, even if I'm sorry, go ahead, brother. Sorry, I was just going to interject real quick. Um, I think is it Sirach or Wisdom of Solomon that talks about that Enoch had to be removed so as to not like be persuaded or to like join in with the corruption that was going on. It works yeah. in an interesting way where it's like it just makes sense with this, like so that he would not see death, right? Because he like right. it was it was very corrupting. And yes, so yeah. it's it just, I'd have to find that passage again. I can't remember where it is, but it's interesting. Yeah, there was chaos on the earth as Genesis 6, 5 tells us. And so, um, it, you know, it was definitely, here is a man of righteousness who's doing righteousness to the point, because not only is he a high priest, um, but he is an incredible prophet of God. And, you know, just as we know from other people in the scriptures, it grieves their soul to be around unrighteousness. So the point is, he also was given a special task and duty, which is which is more than just saying that he didn't want to be around ungodliness. He was given a special task to be the scribe that he was called to write down the deeds that were going down up to the days of the flood. And this is the point I want to point out. And we didn't have time to focus on this. Maybe, Ken, for we can do a whole other show on this. But this is why it says he writes down the condemnation and judgment of the world and the wickedness of all the children of men. And on account of it, God brought the waters of the flood upon all the land of Eden. He was set as a sign that he should testify against all the children of men that he should recount all the deeds of the generations until the day of condemnation. The day of condemnation is not the day of the Lord. It is not the great white throne judgment after the millennial reign. This was just the flood. And Sorry. so that's that's just the first two points I want to draw as for the viewer, okay, to understand that he's in a place away from the people for a purpose to be protected for a certain amount of time up until the day of the flood. And as a result of it, even the land of Eden itself, we know the flood covered the whole surface of the earth above the mountains of even 20 feet. But even as a result, even the land of Eden, which is where the garden is, was flooded. So Jubilee 7 and Jubilee 10 tells us that he did this until the day of his death. So this is where it looked like to me is that he's literally in this in this Garden of Eden, you know, where which it says in the Book of Enoch he was taken to be with the angels because we know there were angels in the Garden of Eden, right? They'd be there to help Adam and Eve, right? And he was in the Garden of Eden, writing down the the you know the deeds basically like the the court scribe, you know, the court reporter, and uh, he's basically presenting this so that it can be justification for the Father to bring about the flood, and as a result, the Garden itself went through the flood yeah exactly man and i think this is reiterated um in latter chapters of enoch where we see chapters where noah is um being told kind of what, what's going to be happening and he goes actually to consult enoch and enoch is in the garden during this time so it's interesting. yeah yeah, yeah. so enoch definitely uh, lived a long time and he had a special special you know relationship with the father for sure he is not in our opinion, we do not ascribe the second and third Enoch. He's not Metatron. Um, he's not any kind of pre-incarnate Yeshua. He's a dude that's seventh from Adam that just, because of his obedience, he earned a special role that led up to the end of that age, which was the flood. Yeah, and he, as loved, he loved Yahweh's instructions. He did. He yeah, loved, he was he very, very faithful. Exactly. He taught men to do them. And we, we see that in Jubilees as well, where... You know him and Noah. They were passing it down to Abraham, and 
all the same consistent laws, right? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I just I just love this passage here because it says so much. And it says he even burnt incense of the sanctuary. Yeah. I was Guess bring what? That up. Yeah. <laughs> so the garden is not just a place of just, you know, trees and water and animals running around and, and fruit on the branches, you know, that you could pick. It's it's actually like we we see fleshed out further in the book of Enoch. It's got mountains and rivers and streams, but it also has sanctuary, which is a place where you would do the law. Were you as a high priest and Adam was a priest being the first man? <laughs> that's, that's one of the qualifiers for the Melchizedek priesthood. He has to have eldership. So therefore he would have been a priest. Yeah. Sean, and, we see that actually in Jubilee is when he gets kicked out, he offers all the specific right. spices and stuff before he leaves to the land of Elba. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So Adam knew what the priesthood duties were because he was a priest. Um, so that's, that's the point is there's more inside the garden of righteousness the Garden of Eden than just this this storybook idea that we've been told all of our lives, which is just, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, and some bushes are covering their their unmentionable parts. And then you know, they're just, you know, in a in a forest looking kind of area. No, no, guys, there's angels running around. There's the you know, what I'm saying like the I don't know if they could see the father, to be honest. I don't know if it was like that, but there was clearly a place where they could do the law. There was an actual sanctuary there. And we're actually going to read about that a little bit later, aren't we, Ken? We are. Yes, we are. Yeah. So right on brother. Is there anything else in this chapter before moving along? Man, I could spend a whole hour or two hours on this I know. On the it's... three verses here, but we better move. Okay. Okay. So we're in second Ezra's here, chapter two, 10 to 14. It says, thus saith Yahweh unto Ezra's tell my people that I will give them the kingdom of Jerusalem, which I would have given unto Israel. Their glory also will I take unto me. And give these the everlasting tabernacles, which I had prepared for them. They shall have the tree of life for an ointment of sweet savor. They shall neither labor nor be weary. Go, and ye shall receive. Pray for the few days unto you, that they may be shortened. The kingdom is already prepared for you. Watch. Take heaven and earth to witness. For I have broken the evil in pieces and created the good. For I live, saith the Lord. Oh man, I just love this, Sean. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, Ken, I'll never understand why they took, you know, Second Ezra out of the canon. Yeah, I mean, evil intentions, dude, man. That's all I can chalk it up to, to be honest with you. It's amazing, but yeah, yeah we as we try to point out here, not only is he saying he's going to give them the kingdom of Jerusalem, um, which and he calls within it, he calls some things everlasting tabernacles, but he also says the kingdom is already prepared for you. Right. right. And so I know a lot of people right now may be thinking, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute, Sean. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Yes, so he did say what, that. Yep. Are we seeing some sort of, sort of contradiction here? I would say negative. <laughs> we don't see contradictions yeah. here. No, absolutely not. Well, basically, we've got, um, you know, Yeshua talked about um, in my father's house are many mansions, right? Many rooms. And if it weren't so, he wouldn't have told us. And so he's going to go prepare a place for us for sure, because we're actually going to read about that later. Okay, guys. So <laughs> here in a few slides down, and I don't even know if we're going to be able to get to it this week. We may have to get to it next week with our Isaiah slides, but we're going to read about how this, not only do we find that where the, the Garden of Eden was taken and what it's considered to be more than just a paradise, but it's also um, what happens to it in the interim times. So from the time that it was taken off the earth to the time it's being brought back to the earth, what's going down with it? What is the father doing with it? 
Yeah, and so definitely. that's what we're going to get to read about. And it has to do with Yeshua's role. Exactly. Yeah. Sean, I love, I mean, I love every verse in this passage here, but where it says their glory also will I take unto me and then give these the everlasting tabernacles. Cause that's, we want to have the same glory. I know it sounds pretentious, but like, that's what Yeshua has promised us, right? Yeah. To be given those perfected immortal bodies that we can dwell in Yahweh's presence in. And that's the whole point guys, is that this is what Yahweh's saying. Their glory also will I take unto me. So we're going to be able to go to his mountain, which Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. Instead of worrying about being destroyed by his utter presence, like our forefathers did at Mount Sinai, they were when he when he came in a, you know, and, and fire, smoke, and all that stuff. And it was terrifying for them, rightfully so, because they were in bodies of flesh where it would be very easy for them to die. But this is the whole purpose is that we're, we want to have these bodies where we can dwell in the presence of our father. And, and you know how we're supposed to be seeking his face. Now we literally will be in the, you know, the, the type of environment where we can look at his face without dying, which is amazing. Yeah, it's, it is amazing, man. We're, and that's to the viewer. If you're kind of new to the road to rescue, hey Ken, I think you're still there. Thanks brother. Don't want them to be deprived of your face, bro. <laughs> Um, but yeah, to the viewer, if you haven't already seen some of our previous episodes here on Parable of the Vineyard, we discussed what Kim was just talking about, about getting our immortality, bodies of, of incorruptibility that were promised at the resurrection. And that show is um, is called Immortality and the End of Days. And so, again, go to the playlist here on Parable of the Vineyard under the Road to Rescue, and then you can you can find that Immortality and the End of Days. We spend a good hour and a half discussing the scriptures about the resurrection and explaining what's promised to us, which is, you know, extremely important in my opinion for people to really understand. Yeah, exactly, man. And I mean, that's, that's, as you said earlier, you're not sure if we were able, like if Adam and Eve were actually able to see the father in the, in that garden environment before sin entered in. But yeah, for sure. You, oh, sorry. I was going to say, we have to remember the biblical creation model. So they're still in the land. The father is the most high at the top. That's right. Yeah. So, but for sure, one day we will be able to dwell in bodies where we can do that without any fear of death. So Yeah. Yeah. Which is why, you know, in Matthew 22, uh, Jesus tells us that we'll be made like the angels at the resurrection. And then um, I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but he he says in another place about the angels who are guardian angels and how they see the face of the father. So we're, we're promised the bodies of angels and the bodies of angels can see the face of the father. They can be around him, close to him. You know, so uh, this is why Paul is talking about in First Timothy six. I believe it's uh, yeah, First Timothy chapter six, verse verse one through six or something. But he's talking about the Father who dwells in unapproachable light, right? That's right. So you, as mortal man, you cannot see him and live. But if you have the right type of chemistry, the right type of body, which is what he wants for us to have at the resurrection, we will be able to see the Father, just as Yeshua the Son can see the father and sit at his right hand yeah amen amen yeah cool man okay i'll screen share here all right who read last me or you uh i believe i did but it doesn't okay. make a difference to so, me here is second ezra 2 15 through 19 says mother embrace your children bring them up with with gladness make their feet as fast as a pillar for i have chosen you says yahweh and those that be dead will i raise up again from their places and bring them out of the graves for I have known my name in Israel. Fear not, you mother of the children, 
For I have chosen you, says Yahweh. For your help will I send my servants, Esau and Jeremy, after whose counsel I have sanctified and prepared for you twelve trees laden with diverse fruits, and as many fountains flowing with milk and honey, and seven mighty mountains, whereupon there grow roses and lilies, whereby I will fill your children with joy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Man, some good stuff in here. All mother, right. So we, what is this, mother? I know, man. I'm just I'm gonna give I'm trying to uh, help the viewer as we, you know, as we keep going through these slides to understand what we're defining here. Yeah. So we've got a garden put in Eden called paradise. And then now we have this promise that the Jerusalem will be given to to those who are of the resurrection. Yeah. And it looks like the father is speaking to a mother who embraces those who are resurrected and it calls the, the children of the resurrection. Uh, it calls this, this person being spoken to the mother of those children. Yes, it does. Interesting. That's, that's, and it has all the same descriptions that we see in Enoch and other places of heaven, of our promised land. Right. That's right, man. Yeah. And I like how it says here that, um, when he brings them up, He's going to make their feet as fast as a pillar. And I think we see that in Revelation. Which one is it, Sean? It's a Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter two, where we're talking about being made as pillars in the house of his God. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we just, we have this correlation to an environment that is within the father's sanctuary, within his house, his kingdom, right? As we saw yeah. earlier, King, I want to give you the kingdom of Jerusalem. And certainly not the one that's on the earth right now, guys. This is not what we're referring to, nor was the father referring to that. Just want to make mention of that. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a man, this is such a good, good verse. And of course, both this slide and the previous slide, they flow together. But um, yeah. and we, we just got, want to make sure, you know, in fact, if you just slip right to the next slide, it's a real short verse here in Galatians. We, we just see more confirmation that Paul himself in Galatians 4.26 is speaking about Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother so this is in, in galatians 4 where he's breaking down with an allegory the concept of sarah and hagar and one is the slave woman one is the free woman and how we are you know at the resurrection we're taking to the new jerusalem to be with the free woman with the mother above the jerusalem which is the kingdom yeah. that was promised to us so, yeah, I like how yeah. Paul just subtly slips that in there, right? Like, by yeah, the way, like you should know what he's talking about. Yeah, because where where would he know this, Sean? Like, how would he know that this is this Jerusalem above, which he also refers to in Second Corinthians twelve as paradise above? How would I he know how to term her as mother? But probably because he had the Book of Ezra, which we're about to read in our next slide, <laughs> which tells you point. <laughs> blank <laughs> it connects these right. ideas for us yeah it's probably why he probably um had different books than we have available to us which That's is right. why he can make statements like that yeah absolutely okay take it away brother it's all yours okay so we're in second ezra's chapter seven it says behold the time shall come that these tokens or signs which i have told thee shall come to pass and the bride shall appear and she coming forth shall be seen that now is withdrawn from the earth and whosoever is delivered from the foresaid evils shall see my wonders. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. All right, brother. Should we just sit in silence here and let the, the, uh, the viewer here read this a few times? Before yeah, this is, we're introduced to an, another qualifier for this idea. 
And we get this concept here that we've already talked about a garden that was on the earth up until the flood. It went through the flood. And now we're talking about something else that's going to appear called a bride. And it was already here, but it was withdrawn. That's right. It's no longer on the earth, Sean. That's According right. To Ezra, yeah, even in his day, thousands that's of years right. ago. So now we're it just we hope that people are able to follow the you know the language means things and it's very important for us to understand what's being described throughout the context. So we have a garden that was abandoned, right? People were the inhabitants were kicked out of it. We've got um, it's called paradise. It's called a garden. It's called um, the navel of the earth by Jubilees. It's called um, you know. Anyway, the, the, the point yeah. is, it, at, it then is given a special assignment to Enoch to go into there and actually do some offer incense upon the sanctuary that's in there. So there's more. Than, it's more than just you know trees and grass in there apparently. And at the flood, it actually is flooded. We, and according to Ezra, it's called a bride that was withdrawn from the earth, but is going to come back. Yeah. I just think that's fascinating. Bro. Yeah, we got the kingdom of Jerusalem. We got mother. So many yeah. descriptors, Sean. I mean, yeah. It's just, yeah. And that's where, and that's, you know, so if it's, if it's going to, if it's withdrawn now, and it's, which, which is the indication that it's going to appear and come back, this is why Paul could talk about it like it's our mother above. She's the free mother, right? And he could just so quickly and, and just so nonchalantly say, oh, it's our mother above, Jerusalem. Yeah, exactly. Because this is why you see in all these passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah, and, you know, where it talks about um, Jerusalem on the ground, and it'll say daughter Jerusalem. And it's talking about Jerusalem on the ground. Exactly. <laughs> but we see that. Yeah, we, we see that. So, yeah, we see that exemplified beautifully in Second Baruch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's giving you indications. Again, it, it's really important to understand the creation model. Um, we actually go over the creation model in episode two of The Road to Rescue. It's called The Heavens Will Be Shaken. If you haven't seen that episode, go back and check it out. And it, we, we spend a lot of time explaining that. But if we have a garden that was brought down and then it's withdrawn, now it's above us and it's being called our mother above, the kingdom of Jerusalem to come, mother Jerusalem above, whereas the, the Jerusalem on the ground that is fraught with, with men that keep going into rebellion throughout time, Right. That one is destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed, rebuilt. You know, it's now it's this weird amalgamation of different various countries, people, groups all around it. It's not even the full borders that it used to be. It's definitely not the promised Abraham at all in any regard, in any description. And the one that's on the ground today is, is scheduled to be completely burned with fire at the coming of the Lord, Matthew 13. So it's like, guys, if, you, if you're not familiar with this, is these are why we were talking about all these component pieces about you know, this idea of modern day Zionism, which tries to preach that the the current Jerusalem on the ground today is the slow fulfillment of, you know, the messianic kingdom that's going to come. And which is why there's people that that deny Messiah, uh, the deny Yeshua of Nazareth, and they're still looking for Messiah to come, mainly modern day people that are of Jewish descent that are following a different religion called Judaism. They're looking for a Messiah still to come, and they believe the modern-day land of Israel is going to be, quote-unquote, in their lifetime, the fulfillments of the, the promises to Abraham, and that they're going to see a politician that's going to be their Messiah 
which is what most of them think anyway. So the point is, all that is not what the scriptures say. The scriptures is what we're trying to give you tonight, is that the Garden of Eden is about to is is destined to come back down, basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, on top of that, Sean, in addendum to everything you just mentioned, we've got you know this this uh, political ideology that's attempting to erect another temple. Right. And they're yeah. going through training right now of priests. And uh, as you've said before, like they're shipping in, you know, Levites from these nations like Ethiopia and, and attempting to really, you know, mo- you know, play God. Right. They're, they're doing things without his approval, which is, you know, brothers and sisters. I know this is probably a, uh, a hard one, like a hard pill to swallow, but, you know, do a lot of studying with regards to this after after this two part series of the bride and and the garden and all that stuff that we're talking about right now, it should, we're hoping we're praying, make you question. If you haven't already questioned what's going on in that land today, that calls itself Israel. Okay. So we don't mean you any disrespect. If you have family members there, or if you've been there, you've been blessed in some way with, you know, that, that land that's there. We just ask that you prayerfully consider what we're discussing in this episode. And, and, um, yeah just try to determine what is really going on in in terms of god's promise and what men are trying to attempt through their own achievements today so we'll leave it hey, at can that. you can you remember at the end of the beginning of the show when i was talking about sometimes we run into people that were were expressing scriptural ideas too and we show them the scriptures and as you and i have, have both encountered folks as we talk to people online social media and try to share scriptures with them and you give them a scripture and they just look at it, but they ignore everything it says and just continue with whatever was already in their head. Yes. I've seen that happen with, with me trying to interact with people who are hardcore into Judaism, right? They're actually living in Israel. They're, uh, they claim they're of the, the tribe of Judah, of Jewish descent, because most people don't really understand the difference that not all hebrews or jews <laughs> yeah. there's literally a word that comes from the tribe of judah and it's just adopted like a cultural moniker you know to to encompass all of them but technically it's just from one tribe but the point is um i've spoken with men that were considered to be jews by blood and they were living in the land of israel they spoke hebrew they're practicing judaism which is not christianity in any regard and they <laughs> I would show them these these prophecies. I would I would bring up Nahum with them and Zephaniah and Amos, and I would bring up Isaiah with them. And they just look at you know they're we're talking online, but basically they just completely ignore them, and they just continue with their own pre-taught mantras, you know. And this is this is what you know. Unfortunately, you know we do have a lot of respect for anyone that may that wants to pray for those who are living in Israel right now. But let's just remember what God's words say about that particular land, how it's it's destined to be completely burned with fire and made ready for what we just read Ezra say, which is the bride to appear. That's right, man. So, yeah. And in fact, a lot of people may be asking right now, wait a minute, Sean, how can you possibly suggest that the Garden of Eden is going to come back down as the kingdom of Jerusalem that were promised in Revelation 21? Well, because what the Garden of Eden, right, was just a small area of land of like, you know, and I even theorized that it was possibly the size of the town of Bethel, or at least in that in that area it was where it was, which isn't very big in relationship to what we read about the kingdom of Jerusalem that comes down through the ferment in Revelation 21. Yes. So Isaiah actually answers that question. <laughs> Let's get to right. it. Okay.
Loving the segue, Sean. All right, brother. Do you want this one? Sure, I'll grab this one. Isaiah 49, 14 to 17. It says, but Zion said, Yahweh has forsaken me and Adonai has forgotten me. And Yahweh replies here, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders hurry. Your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. I love this interaction that the father's having here with Zion, Sean. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and in fact, if you will, brother, will you just read um, the next one as well? Oh, yeah, totally. Slide, okay? yeah. Yeah. Lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather together. They come to you. As I live, declares Yahweh, you will surely put on all of them as jewels and bind them on as a bride. For your waste and desolate places and your destroyed land, surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants and those who swallowed you will be far away. The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, the place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. All right. So this is what we were talking about earlier, right? Do you want me to continue on, Sean? I think we got another. Um, I, I do, but I don't okay. want to get too far ahead. I sure. just want to get those two out because I wanted to talk about the transitioning that's that's being addressed here by the father as he's talking to the bride, which is we just saw is the kingdom of Jerusalem above, this mother above, this withdrawn kingdom that was here on the ground that is no longer here on the ground, right? Which is what the garden was. That's right. And so now he's talking to it. And as you saw in the very, you know, in verses 14 through 17, it says that she, she feels forsaken and forgotten right now. And she's yeah, like, what's right. going on? Where, you know, Adonai, my, Yahweh's forsaken me, Adonai's forgotten me. And then he replies, I, I couldn't possibly forget you, right? I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. And then he starts promising good things to her in verses 18 and 18, excuse me, 18 through 20. And then he's talking about the resurrection. Look, you lift up your eyes and look around. All of them gather to you. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord. This is, of course, what we read earlier in Second Ezra, right? That um, the, the kingdom will be given, you know, the, the inhabitants that he's going to pull up out of the grave. And then right. you will bind them on as a bride, okay? For your waste and desolate places, your destroyed land. That's what we talked about. The Garden of Eden went through the flood, as we read from Jubilees chapter 4. Surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants and those who sold you be far from you. The children of whom you were bereaved. That would be Adam and Eve. So now she's a, a woman without children that she was bereaved of, and her land is destroyed. And these new inhabitants of the resurrection that are coming to her, there's not enough land, which is yeah. why she's saying the place is too cramped for me. Make room cramped. for me that I live here. Yeah, we're touching elbows. Come on. <laughs> That's right. So I just want to kind of give a quick synopsis for the viewer in case they weren't, you know, uh, in case it was difficult to understand. But, um, but if you will, would you please read the next two verses in Isaiah 49, 21 to 23? Absolutely. And I just wanted to throw here, Sean, that right here at the beginning of Isaiah 49, 14, we have Zion saying to Yahweh. So yet another name for the exact same um, right. place that we've been discussing all throughout. So That's right. Okay. So moving on here in 49 verses 21 to 23 says, then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I have been bereaved of my children? and am barren, an exile, and a wanderer. And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? Thus says Yahweh Elohim, 
Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. Kings will be your guardians and their princesses your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. And you will know that I am Yahweh. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. All right. Will you read the, the next slide as well? And then we'll be finished with this part here. Can the prey be taken from the mighty man or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Surely, thus says Yahweh, even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend with the one who contends with you and I will save your sons. I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh and they will be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh will know that I, Yahweh, am your savior and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. He loves her, Sean. <laughs> That's right. Now I love, I love here in uh, verses 21, how he, she says she's, a, she's barren, an exile, and a wanderer, which I think is fascinating because she's, she's not, we, we see later in verses that she actually gives birth to an entire nation in a day, which is metaphorically this resurrection event. Right. That's right. Yeah. And then she's in exile. That's what we just read in Second Ezra seven, where she's withdrawn. So she's the place that she was planted. She had to leave. So therefore, she's in exile. Right. And she's, right. she's a wanderer, meaning she hasn't reached her home yet. So like it's all there. <laughs> it's yeah, all there. It's, it's so Sean. I used to read these passages in Isaiah, and I was so confused. I was just like, this is just you know, I chalked it up as poetry. This is all it is. It's just poetic lingo here that is probably referring to like just the nation of Israel somehow. And, you know, that was that. I just, I had no time for these scriptures to be honest with you because it just, it didn't make sense to me, nor did it like, you know, draw me into an understanding that contextually allowed me to see exactly what's going on here until we see that this Zion, this woman that the father's speaking to, isn't just an ordinary woman. That's right. Yeah. She's yeah. Special. And the scriptures, brothers and sisters, the scriptures use this type of language quite a lot. I mean, we, we see Solomon doing it in Ecclesiastes Proverbs where he personifies wisdom in, in feminine form quite often, you know, so it, it's not, these aren't isolated events where we see this in scripture. It's, it's an often used, um, Piece, you know, like literary device, right, John? Yes, yeah. It's, it's a literary device where you you just you're, you're applying this feminine trait to uh, this. That's why at the beginning of the show I said there's a character here that's that's been given to us at the beginning of the book. So Genesis one gives us the room that all this takes place in. Genesis two starts to introduce the characters that are going to be interacting inside of this room. We've not only got the creator, but Adam and Eve, mankind, plus the place where mankind is destined to be. So they can be with the creator. And this is, you know, and of course, tragedy comes in. So therefore you have the, you know, the antagonist comes in, right? The, the serpent, he comes in, he creates the drama. He, the plot starts to unfold how the father tries to get everything back to good, right? At the beginning, he made everything. He said, oh, that's good. And things were good for about seven years, according to the book of Jubilees. And then on the anniversary of the eighth year, the, the serpent comes in, tempts Adam and Eve, and then... Tra you know, tragedy strikes and things start to happen. And then kicks off this story of the father's road to rescue. This is the moment where he starts putting the chess pieces in place to say, you know what? 
for those who truly want to love me, for those who truly want to be with me in my house, I'm going to make things possible. And so as we read, he had his house was left on the ground for a long time. Talk about, a, you know, as we read earlier about Julius Forrest said that he was set in there as a sign. So that means that the people knew that he was in there. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Yeah. I, I would even posit that because the new the new Jerusalem, which comes back down, which is the garden that we've talked about, which is the Garden of Eden, it has walls that are clear. I would even posit that the walls of the Garden of Eden were clear too, and they could possibly see Enoch inside the Garden of Eden up until the flood, which would be a sign, meaning they could actually see it. So I would posit that that's a possibility that what was going down for 1,656 years leading up to the flood is that you have a literal in-your-face witness of the commandment of God, right, which was to obey his word and his voice. And then and you've got the generational forefathers that can tell you the story of, well, yeah, our, our great forefather Adam used to live in there, but because he didn't obey the voice of God, he's kicked out. So we should all obey the voice of God because the promise of our covenant is that we can get back in there at the resurrection. And that's a little bit different episode, guys, but from all of our study, we 100% believe that the patriarchs before the flood, they all knew the promise of the resurrection was to get back into the garden. Yeah, amen, brother. Amen. It definitely was not a New Testament understanding. No. Even it though we've been taught that through an unfortunate doctrine called dispensationism, that's it's just not true. It yeah. really isn't. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I just get excited because, you know, we have this concept here of the Father introducing a character that, like, you know, like a lot of people that read the scriptures, they overlook so easily. And even here in Isaiah 49, we have Zion itself saying, oh, the Father's forgotten about me. So she's feeling overlooked because this story is taking time to unfold and come to the denouement, which is the return of the Messiah on the day of the Lord, right? When he comes down to redeem and rescue. So this whole concept here is that after him comes down Mother Above, the New Jerusalem, which is going to be our home, the paradise of God, as, as Paul explains in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you know, that's apparently in the third firmament. And then you also got this concept here that he's he acknowledges that there's going to be a an abundance of sons and daughters so great at the resurrection that they can't fit in the original dimensions of the Garden of Eden. Therefore, as we just read in Isaiah 49, it has to be enlarged. And we're actually going to we're talk about that a little bit more next week in part two of this broadcast as we go into um, Isaiah 54 and some other places. But brother, man. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. And I just wanted to shed some quick light, Sean, on um, a possible misunderstanding that could manifest out of this conversation about our mother above, this woman that we keep talking about. And um, someone had asked me a while ago, like, what is this mother above? Are you are you referring to the queen of heaven? I thought you were a believer. And it's like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. We're not referring to anything pagan, right? We're not, if this isn't Ishtar, Semiramis, Diana, none of this stuff. We're not talking about the queen of heaven in that sense, okay? This is a, Paul's own words. Everyone likes to jump to Paul, right? We got Galatians 4.26 where he says, this is our mother above, right? Zion, the new Jerusalem, you know, paradise, all these different names that we have for this character. The, as said, the bride. The bride, exactly. And, and you know, she's going to be adorned like jewels. Her, and her we, are, we are the things that adorn her. Exactly. And why, Sean? Why do we adorn her and like jewels? In our in our resurrection robes that are white and bright. And we're shining like light bulbs because the light of God has illumined us, according to Revelation 22. Yeah. Amen. 
so yeah i just wanted to throw that out there just in case people are like what is this mother above talk it's in your scriptures guys it's there yeah it's 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 the the promised kingdom to us as we've read so i know that we've talked to Throughout the show so far, I know that we've brought you a lot of scriptures that many people may be unaware of. So that's why we always try to put them on the screen for you so that anytime you can go back to this video, you can pause it. You can look up the scripture references that we gave. You can study them out for yourself. Um, but otherwise, we just want to encourage you that this is a wonderful message because this is just a, this is a character that's always been there in the story. And if, if we were alive before the flood, apparently we'd be able to walk up to this thing. And I think that's fascinating. So now after the flood, that means you've got Noah, Shem, Japheth, Ham, those generations right after the flood, they remembered seeing it. That's right. And they could tell their peoples about it. And they knew that it's no longer there, which means it was withdrawn into the firmament somewhere. I don't know who, I don't know where, but apparently even Paul knew it was in the third layer of the firmament, the third heaven. Yeah. Right. So, um, to me, this is a huge plausibility for Nimrod to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're trying to tell me that this thing used to be on the ground and that this is an enclosed system. Like it's a wall. It's an, it's its own place with mountains and things. The sanctuary of God is there. And you're trying to tell me that that um, not the not the, the heavenly sanctuary, excuse me, but a sanctuary is there to minister to God. And then you're trying to tell me that this thing was taken up into the sky through the firmament above us. And he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to build, I'm going to build something and get up there. You know, it's like, I could see the thoughts turning in his head in his rebellious head. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which is why we get his motivation was he wanted to put his throne above the stars, which could very interestingly enough could be the top of the garden of Eden, which would be in the, in the top layer of the firmament. If the, anyway, so that's a bigger, bigger conversation, but the point is, um, yeah, it makes, yeah, it makes Isaiah 14 a lot more interesting with his five I will statements and what he knew. It does. Yeah. It does. And you see mo you see plausibility for the insane motivation because you see the biblical creation model. You see the garden being explained to you. You didn't see it yourself because you weren't born there, but you're taking your, your grandfather and your father's word for it. And, you know, I think actually I think Nimrod was like four generations down. But um, the point is you're taking your your father's word for it. And they're trying to tell you, yeah, this thing used to be on the ground and it's going to come back. It's part of the promise, you know, and yeah. it was withdrawn into heaven and it's going to come back. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to go up there and get it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I really, Sean, I really wonder about Nimrod's decision for the exact location for Babel in the land of Shinar there in that valley. He had to have known there was direct where they were building. Like, obviously, it was a height issue that they were trying to achieve and he had to know that possibly something where we're building this thing towards is going to get us through <laughs> so yeah. it's it's very very fun to speculate about for sure yeah it's like it's not like he there's you know it says in Genesis 11 that he went to the you know found the plain of Shinar and they found that the, it was a large broad plain therefore they could build the city and the tower and it just makes me wonder yeah there's plenty of other planes across the earth there's yeah. plenty of other ones but Shinar is just so happened to be close to Bethel geographically, you know what I'm saying? Or just to the land of Israel where some people think the garden was originally anyway. So the point is, like you're saying, I agree with you. Yeah. It's like, maybe you don't want to go right up into the bottom of it, but you go up to the side and try to get, you know what I'm saying? But you're just in the vicinity, you know, if you understand the biblical creation model. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, sure, man. I, I agree, man, too, with the whole Bethel thing. It's, I mean, it's the house of God. It's called the house of God for an interesting reason, right? 
So it's wild, brother. We, it's we'll do wild. maybe an episode on that one of these days. But see, that's why it doesn't matter about the actual town that's on the ground today, even if we're just speculating as far as the location. It, as we're reading the scriptures here, this thing's not here on the ground anymore. It's withdrawn. It's taken away. Right. So all these people theorizing, oh, this is the land of Eden. This is the Garden of Eden. It's just overgrown now. And, and it's it. But this was the place where you enter into another dimension to get to it. And I'm like, no, no, no. None of that is in scripture. The scriptures tell us this thing was withdrawn from the earth. It's not here. And you can't understand that language, Ken, unless you understand the biblical creation model. Yeah, exactly, brother. And I, I'm on the hunt for how Paul, like you had said earlier, how Paul knew in Second Corinthians 12, verse 2, that this paradise, this, this garden was extracted from the earth and placed within the third firmament. I want to know how he knows that information. And we're going to find it. I feel like we totally will find it. But <laughs> <laughs> All right. And um, unless you got any concluding remarks, this is the end of our, our episode tonight. But we're going to pick up the same conversation next Sunday night. So join us for part two of this presentation. But uh, Ken, do you have any uh, concluding remarks tonight? Other than just saying, brothers and sisters, thank you so much for watching. As always, we love you. We really appreciate you guys that come on when we do this this live banter between each other. Uh, Sean and I are, you know, he's he calls himself the word nerd. I'm also classified under the same type as well. I love I love brother Sean and I love discussing this with him. And I love brothers and sisters who also just enjoy the richness and beauty uh, of God's word. And we just pray that everything we've discussed up to this point has been, you know, encouraging to you edifying we really really just want to do this because a we're passionate and b this is this is our blessed hope this is the promise of what the father wants to give to us so why don't we understand it now while we have the opportunity to do so so i just thank you so much for for joining us and uh one quick plug sean once again if you haven't already subscribed brothers and sisters i have a, a youtube channel hanging on his words and um would really love your love and support there if you wouldn't mind. Sean also has his channel, Kingdom Context. Amazing yeah, we got, videos we got on there. set up for a reason so we can just point to them like this right here. <laughs> Kingdom and Context. There's the logo. If you want to go see it on, on YouTube, you can subscribe to our channels as well. So yeah. we really are grateful that Brother Adam would have us on this channel to talk about the scriptures. We love it. It's our passion. And um, we actually, uh, we would hope that you would join us next week for the continuation of this particular con uh, conversation about Eden. And, and more than anything, Ken, um, man, I'm just, I get invigorated. I get excited. I get, I get uh, energy just from discussing the scriptures. And I just, I just thank the Father for giving us his word to explain all these things and, uh, and giving us the desire to search them out. So it's, yeah. it's a privilege. It's an honor. And I'm just, uh, thanks for doing this show with me. Um, but if you, if you have nothing else, then I'll just pray us out. No, that's great. No, it's a privilege. And I love you guys. And uh, yeah, let's pray, Sean. All right. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to share your word through this medium as long as we have it. Uh, we pray for this channel, Parable of the Vineyard, that they would be blessed and continue to, to grow and get the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God out to, to, the, to the peoples that need to hear it. You know, And um, we just thank you for the viewers that were here tonight. And we ask that everything that was said, that, you're, um, that, that they would all test it and just take time to, to look upon your word and look in, into these words so they can come to a place of understanding that may enrich their faith towards you and their obedience towards your instructions. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us, guys. Make sure to be here next Sunday night.
We'll see you for part two.